Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network show and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I really want to thank our sponsors for making this show uh, economically viable. For the second hour of today's show, our sponsors are Brazil Resources, Eurasian Minerals, Dynacor Gold Mines, Golden Arrow Resource Corporation, uh, Miranda Gold, Precipitate Gold, and Renaissance Gold. Well, I'm really happy to have with me again Peter Grandich, who is undoubtedly very well known by most of you. I'm not going to waste time uh, reading his bio because I think most of you know him, and also you can, though if you're not that familiar with him, uh, you know, read it on the Voice America website. But Peter has had a, a long history as a stockbroker, as a uh, as an excellent, uh, I think, forecaster of markets. He's had the insights and. Yeah, you know, for me, I sort of go with the market. My gut sort of, I sort of follow the crowd. I have this sense of, I, I just, very difficult for me to feel like going against the crowd. Uh, when the markets are really hot, it's, you know, I want to pile on. When they're, when everybody's fearful, I want to stay away. Well, Peter has this sort of uncanny ability, he has had, uh, to sort of see through that. And he's done, he's had a remarkable record, I think, in the past. Many times he said things. I said, "Are you kidding me, Peter? I don't believe that at all." And certainly, it turned out to be uh, to be right. So it's it's always good to have uh, Peter with us. Welcome again, Peter, to turning hard times into good times. Thank you, and uh, I'm going to play that for my wife the next time she disagrees with me. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, there are financial things and there are personal things, and well, I don't okay. know about that, Peter. So I I'm, I'm a, I don't know about the I don't know about your private life and all that. All I know is that. 
uh, when I listen to you speak at conferences, you always bring something that's unique. You know, I mean, a lot of us maybe are sort of, we just sort of repeat like parrots what we've heard from other people. We don't do that much initial thinking, but you definitely provide uh, some reason to drop in and listen to your talks. And you will be, I think, speaking in Vancouver yes. uh, this uh, weekend on, on Sunday, Monday, probably, yes. both days. Yes, and thank you for the nice words. I, I would uh, suggest to our listeners that might be attending this conference, drop in and hear Peter Granich. And, of course, I don't mind if you stop in at my workshop either, but uh, Peter Granich for sure. Uh, Peter, you just put out, I think, a really, a really, a really interesting and insightful, not necessarily uplifting, but uh, truth is, uh, to the extent that truth is uplifting, it is uplifting, I believe, uh, because I know you always seek to tell the truth and you go out of your way to make sure people know where your conflicts might be and all of that. You are... You have, uh, I think, a reputation for being a very truthful person, which is sort of rare in the business that you and I are in. Sometimes it's, it's quite rare. Uh, but your article, 2013, The Year the Chickens Come Home to Roost, uh, I'd like to start out by reading a um, uh, quote that you put in there from Dan Norsini, and I'm, uh, because I think it probably says an awful lot about your views and, and your values. Dan says, and I quote, we are witnessing a breakdown in ethics, virtue, and morality, as well as the loss of the sense of righteousness versus sin and the blurring of the lines between good and evil that has marked the fall of every great civilization throughout history. End of quote. Peter, can you comment on that? Yeah, uh, I, I featured that really, really almost at the start because I, I thought Dan said everything and anything and, and really summed it up. And although he went on and expanded, I thought, and wrote one of the better articles I read in almost 30 years in this business. But I, I thought that was really hitting home and to start off where I wanted to tell my readers where I really thought we stood. I, uh, while some obviously read just because they want to hear a gold opinion or, or what have you, I really think when we looked at the bigger picture, uh, all the... Uh, different factors that many of us have hopped on for years. You and I almost know each other for 30 years. They're coming home to roost, and that was really the kind of the theme of what the letter was about, that while initially I felt the, the year could begin good for the market, and I felt that way for since 2009 that the stock market could continue to rise, sometime in this year uh, a bell will go off, and as I said in my letter, I hope I hear it, and I really think a, a series of difficulties on a wide spectrum of fundamental and technical factors will have come and, and really uh, put an end to the uh, what, what can only be, I described as the greatest bear market rally in the history of mankind. I, I believe that we actually began a bear market in the fall of 2007. However, in March of 2009, I suggested that we would have the greatest bear market rally of all time and actually have constantly said for almost two years that we'll actually eke out and just get over the previous all-time high, and that will set the stage for a more difficult and longer-lasting secular bear market. And and so far it's playing out that way, and I think the, the pivotal point is sometime this year, I'm not a timer, so to speak, and I don't believe in waves and cycles to any degree, but sometime in this year there's a high probability of that happening. What might trigger it, Peter? We, uh, I was talking about this, uh, this ex-central um, banker that was on Thomas Keene the other day, uh, P uh, Bob Weisenbeis, uh, and he was talking about his fear is that if the central banks even hint at uh, 
reducing the size of their balance sheets that we could see uh, a stampede out of the bond out of the bond markets out of the U.S. Treasury markets like you've never seen before. He says if Bernanke says uh, get set ready uh, get on your marks get set go he says people aren't going to be aren't bond dealers that are sitting on embedded profits aren't going to wait around for the get set go part of it as soon as they hear on your marks they're out of here and we saw the bond market um, tank when there was just a little whiff of of uh, notion from the fed that maybe they would uh, stop uh, QE so do you think that might be one thing that could really trigger a, a precipitous decline in, in asset prices if there was some, let's say, the Treasury markets tanked? Oh, there's no question that would be it. But what, what, I, what I've tried to paint to my readers and what I think is important is we've actually been given a, a prelude to what it will look like. And what I've said to people is America's markets and economies and, and social aspects and political are a lot like what started to happen in Europe six, seven years ago and, and crested recently in their crisis. Uh, governments spent way too much. They printed a lot of money. Uh, secularism and socialism replaced spirituality and capitalism. Mm-hmm. Got to the point where suddenly there was too many people, or as I like to coin, and I'm not the person that started this, but I, I use it as a forefront, uh, the takers overrun, overrun the makers, meaning mm-hmm. the people who look for something versus the people that make and earn something, mm-hmm. uh, got to the point in Europe. And when it was recognized that that had happened, that the cup went from half full to half empty, rates shot up to the moon, even though the economies were weak, because, you know, the thought always was that the only way rates go up real high if, you know, if the economy is too strong. Yeah. And that is exactly what I believe is going to happen here. I, I I still think there's a honeymoon period because of the Obama win, the inauguration, and a couple of months after that. But I think as we get into the year, the realization in the world will be that makers versus the takers has taken hold here. The political system is grinded to a halt. Anybody that spent their life in politics know that as bad as we might have talked about Washington 5, 10, or 15 years ago, there was at least... Uh, an opportunity to achieve something. Now it's just grinded to a complete halt. Mm-hmm. And the recognition of that uh, and, the, and the belief that we will not be able to solve our problems, like you said, could literally come out overnight. And like you said, it, it won't be ready, set, go. It'll be just the first real hint, and everybody will run to the exit. And uh, so I, I don't know what date it is, and that's why, although looking for the market to have worked higher, I also reminded people it wasn't to build a time where you're going to own stocks for the next five or ten years. Because one of the things that I still find, Jay, in North America particularly, I don't find this as much when speaking or going to Europe and all and talking to people from Asia, but I find this in North America in particular is there's still people operating their equity portfolios as if the United States is still the economic engine that pulls the world around. Mm, mm. And that's simply not the case anymore. So what I always tell people is that those still that want to stay in general equities, you need to start realizing that to look outside the United States for equity opportunities, Mm -hmm. starting with Asia. I think some of the bleakest periods are over in Europe. Countries like Ireland seem to be rebounding. I sooner... Personally, if I'm going to be long equities, 
would be long Asia, China, India, and short the U.S. if there was, you know, somebody was as bold to be that speculative. Mm-hmm. But I certainly wouldn't have a general equity portfolio that's heavily weighted in U.S.-based companies operating mostly in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Well, that's probably pretty good, pretty good advice, although I, it would seem to me that if we have another major decline in the equity markets, everything could... Uh, could go down together, but I think you know, relatively longer term. I'm I'm getting the age now, Peter, when I can't think in terms of ten, twenty, thirty years. I have to think in shorter time, shorter durations. But for younger people, perhaps. But it's it's hard to know. Uh, you know, definitely, you talk about gridlock in Washington. It seems to me, Peter, that what we're talking about is irreconcilable because we're getting to this issue of morality that you talked about to a great extent. And let me tell you what I what I mean by that. I think it was uh, Gary North I was reading. He he came out with this idea recently, and it's not certainly not a novel idea, but the notion is that people on the left side of the political spectrum uh, who are Christians, for example, think that it's okay to steal as long as the majority of people th- say you should. Because isn't that what government does, essentially? I mean, after it's taking care of its basic needs, it's, it's basically that it, government is getting bigger and bigger and doing more and more things. It's, it's taking care of us instead of us being reliant on ourselves or, be, or trusting in our faith um, in a higher being to take care of us or to look for our solace and our power. Uh, and so if we don't have a God to look to for our strength, then don't we have to look to Caesar? That would be Obama for us. Well, again, I'll point to Europe and take us uh, before World War II. Uh, there were many nations where spirituality, and obviously Christian mostly, was the leading part of those countries and was embedded in all walks of life in those countries, whether it's France, Poland, Ireland, what have you. Uh, and then secularism began to sweep after World War II, and in the 80s really developed momentum to where... You know, there are all sorts of statistics showing how many people have left the church, uh, the change in demographics to uh, where, where expectations within five or ten years, the Islam fate will outweigh the Christian fate in many countries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the same has been underway here in the U.S., uh, delayed maybe 10 or 15 years later. And that's, that's what's transpiring. And so... One of the big things when we talk about, and one of the things I wrote about in, in that uh, article, that you, a newsletter that you referred to that I wrote, mm-hmm. was that the America we knew, certainly what our parents and all knew, whether it was right or wrong, is no longer the America that's operating. Yeah. That, 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 is, that ended on the election night, in, in my opinion. That was, that was the, the last gasp of it. And this new era, which I don't think is going to be a good one, but the new era really has taken hold. And it's amazing in that short period of time when the election was just a little over two months ago, the, the, the things we're seeing already discussed uh, now from an economic standpoint, hearing people talk about, well, a debt ceiling is even stupid. We should get eliminated. We shouldn't even have one. Mm-hmm. Imagine if we operated our family or we told our children, don't worry about a debt ceiling. Go spend whatever you need to spend to make life happy. Right. I mean, the ridiculous of that argument now, you know, then the gun control and all the other things in immigration and all those other things that are happening, these are what Dan and us were, were talking about, the, the evolution and, and, and really the breakdown of government and society and all those countries were once former great ones 
end up not being, and that's what's happening in America. And it's very hard, the older you get, the, when you talk to people in the 60s or 70s to 80s, it actually hurts them, their pride, their patriotism. It, it, it turns their stomach, where when you have the same discussion, even with intelligent you know, 20, uh, 25, 30-year-olds, they don't have that same feeling because they didn't really live that life. You and I, we grew up, and, and, and uh, you know, children in the 50s and 60s and 70s, that was the last of the bastion of that. The real changeover came after that. And that's, mm-hmm. that's all part of, you know, what I think has happened and, and really what America's come down to now. And it, it sounds simplistic, but it's really true. It's the makers versus the takers. All right, or as Ian McAvity says, those who vote for a living as opposed to those who work for a living. And in the United States, with the demographics as it is, that is becoming very, very close to break even now. I think it's, it's pretty, much, uh, pretty much the same. Uh, and as the uh, baby boomers uh, get uh, into retirement, that uh, will tip over to the other side. Yeah, in fact, well, we put an article uh, in that newsletter which showed already 11 states, including the states of California and New York, where it already has tipped. And the prediction within two years that as many as 26 states will come that way. Peter, we're seeing, I think what we're seeing is, uh, we, we talked to Alistair McLeod the last uh, segment about um, Keynes wanted to destroy the renter, or which he meant was his term for the saver, destroy savings. The Japanese savings is being wiped out right now because they've kept interest rates at artificially low levels for so long. The same thing is happening here, and we talked about how can one preserve wealth because the wealth is being taken away from the middle class in, in a very, very rapid way, and certainly that is coming not only through higher taxes, which are coming down the pike, but I think through inflation. What is your sense of the inflation rate? The government calls it 2%. What do you think? Well, you know, look, anybody that's living and pays bill, any adult responsible for a home knows that's not true. I mean, what if in all the things we do, what is only going up 1% or 2%? I I don't know what that is. Uh, And and, and one of the things that uh, doesn't get calculated, and I'm not an economist and I never try to be, and sometimes I don't even want to be around them, to be quite frankly, but one of the things that that's changed a lot in America is what I call hidden taxes, things that are written as fees, you know, or charges, but are really taxes. I mean, you look at your phone bill, your cable bill, your water bill. Yeah. There are all sorts of additional things that are in there. I mean, to think that the utility company charges us to deliver electricity to us. I mean, all yeah. these things and, and, and anything you do in any licensing now, if you have a home, you have to get 22 different types of permits and spend $80 if you want to change a piece of wood in your garage. I mean, these are all the things that didn't exist, and these are all the things we're paying for. So when they tell us inflation is only 1% or 2%, I, you know, that's hogwash. And, 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 I, and I don't think the average American grasps that yet, uh, but I do think people outside the United States who have learned and have lived through higher inflation rates have seen that, and that's why they are speculating much more aggressively about our downfall than Americans themselves. That's why so much of the physical buying of gold and silver uh, in, in large institutional type buyers are from outside of North America because mm-hmm. the, the American institution is still caught up that stocks and bonds is the only way to go, and and yet, uh, you know, where is all this physical gold that we keep seeing being taken out of the market? Where's it going? I mean, I don't think two out of uh, 100 people in any financial institution in the U.S. 
has purchased gold in the last year. Oh, so, hey. But yep. when you get outside the United States, you find that more. Now, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say we have record reports from the silver mints and what have you. Mm-hmm. But that's still concentrated among a very small amount of people. Mm-hmm. The average person is still not gotten themselves involved in gold and silver. That's why, Jay, just so you know, I scoff at these guys that talk about a bubble. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, all this stuff. A bubble happens when, you know, when you when you go to the dry cleaners, you get in a cab, and they're talking about that and how much money they're making in it. Yeah. Uh, oh. The exact opposite is in gold and silver. So I still believe, you know, the gold and silver market uh, has a much, much longer way to go on the upside that we're not even halfway through this run. Oh, I absolutely agree with you there. Certainly, I think that most of what we see uh, on, in the mainstream media and the people, I, I say if I walk down the streets of New York and ask people randomly uh, if they think owning gold is a good thing to do, if owning gold is an essential part of preserving your wealth, I doubt that one in a hundred would, would answer in the affirmative on that. I think most of the Americans, Americans are, drinking, are still drinking the Kool-Aid that Mr. Bernanke is sending our way. But... Um, so this whole thing about you you equated a little while ago capitalism and spirituality and then you socialism with i guess with with a non-spiritual aspect Secularism, yes yeah so i think most people sort of equate uh, socialism with with christianity or with the notion that you need to be good to other people so we have to have the government to force us to be good to other people is, is there some confusion there no i i think you know the biggest a uh, story about how the, the the left always says, "Well, ch- church has to be separated from the state." No, that isn't what the 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 forefathers actually wanted. What they wanted to remind us is that we must remember what this was all built on to begin with, and and the spirituality about it. You know, uh, for me, and like you know, in my book, I it it, it took uh, two battles of serious depression and and almost twenty five years of leading uh, a life of me, myself, and I before I finally got it and understood, you know, who was in charge, who really owns everything, and, and somewhat how to be a servant of that. Mm-hmm. And for me, the Christian faith worked. And I, I'm not here to tell everybody the Christian way is the only way, but a faith that, uh, that was ingrained in believing that through your spiritual belief is what leads you to help others. You know, I don't need the government to tell me that I need to help my fellow man. I need my heart, which is hopefully filled with my spiritual feeling, to tell me to do that. Right. And that and that's where I believe it's grounded in. And oh. the, the concern and, and everything that I have is is that what history of mankind, taking even spiritually out for equation, where has government ever, ever succeeded over long periods of times as it got bigger that things got better? It always got worse. That's always been the end. Mm-hmm. of any successful governments is because they get too big. Yeah. And and they uh, and they pry on the individual's freedom obviously as we're seeing more and more of that coming our way now and again it seems to me that if we uh if if we don't have a higher being to trust in then we have to look to Mr. Obama or to our leaders and and then uh, you're you're trusting human beings rather than letting the natural forces of markets and and um, you know some faith in a higher being control your behavior again i think you're right peter it's from the inside out this is the difference to me a lot of people do get confused about this issue they equate socialism with uh, with christianity and whereas i think christianity certainly jesus taught us to be good to to our fellow man to love and and care for them it wasn't something that we were that we were going to be forced to do it was something we did voluntarily so that to me seems to like that like the big 
big difference. But I think but you mentioned your book, and, and before I forget, tell our listeners where they can pick up a copy of that, Peter. Well, Talk a little bit about actually, your book. Uh, uh, the, the book is called Confessions of a Wall Street Whiz Kid. And for your listeners, if they email us, we could actually send them a free copy through a PDF file, or I could gladly forward it to you, and you can put it up on your website if you like, Jay. Okay, sure. Yeah, uh, confessions of a of a Wall of Street a Wall Street whiz kid. One whiz word. Kid. They can actually go to the website, <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, confessions of a Wall Street dot com. They can order the book there if they like, or I can uh, send you the link uh, that they can read a PDF copy of it. Uh, if they go to your website, or they can go to uh, send us an email. Okay, and uh, let's—we've got a few minutes left yet, Peter. I'd like to just uh, get your sense that on the on the gold and silver markets, which do you which you think has the better chance of, of which one is going to do better this year in 2013? I, I don't think one should try to pick one over the other. I think they both do well. There'll be times when one does better than the other, but I think owning them versus. Uh, just about anything else out there is the way to go, and so I, I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm neither a silver or gold bull, so to speak. I'm just a, a, a precious metal bull. Mm-hmm. I, I do think uh, that there has been an acceleration, a dramatic acceleration, from the camp that has tried to suppress it. Uh, they are resorting to bigger tactics, and as hard and as much as they throw at it, their effect is becoming less and less. And in the silver market in particular, where I think there's a much bigger short position, Mm -hmm. uh, I think that could be more volatile when it breaks to the upside. So Mm -hmm. uh, if and when that happens, silver could lead gold, but I think it'd be wise to have it spread uh, pretty equally between gold and silver. Peter, what about owning gold and silver? You can do it collectively through the Central Fund of Canada, Ian McAvity's, uh, uh, it's like owning a stock. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I believe in... When people have small amount of dollars, it's okay to buy a few coins and also have exposure like that. I think when you get into larger sums of money and if your concerns grow past just what market's going to do and if you get to the point where you're concerned ability to support your daily life, then physical metals become uh, more important. I do think, and I, and I concur with some most recent writings of Jim Sinclair, especially now with this notion that's come out in the last few days and legitimate reports that you know certain banks like the Bundesbank are looking to recapture and bring back their gold holdings under their so-called own tent. Mm-hmm. And if what Gatter and some of us have sold for years is true, this could be the straw that breaks the camel's back to many of us who believe that much of the gold that they still say is out there has actually been sold forward and leased, and that could be the the igniting of the the next leg in this market that I think will take gold easily above two thousand an ounce and silver to a new high above fifty dollars an ounce. Yeah, certainly. What about the shares? You, you've uh, this has been a really tough market in the gold share market, especially among the smaller speculative exploration stocks. Uh, do you think we might see some improvement this year at the first start of the year? Anyway. Well, last year I lost seven figures in the junior resource market, so I may not be the best person to speak about it, but I do think the worst is over there. I still think that there was a lot of damage done, particularly on the financing end, so I don't think we skyrocket right back up, particularly in the first half of this year. But as that market fixes itself and there's consolidations and restructurings and the metal prices start to go, I think the real key 
Jay, for that market and gold itself is gold getting above $1,800. There is such a technical dynamic now that if we can get a two or three consecutive closes above 1800 we can see all sorts of money just flow quickly into gold and see it run $100, $200 in a matter of days. And that type of move would be the thing that would really ignite the junior resource market. The worst is over, but I don't think we're going straight back up anytime soon either. Do you think that 1800 mark is, is where the, um, that's, the, if the I manipulators was, that's are trying the to hold the battle of the bulge. It's for the bears, that's going to be their last line of defense. Tell me, Jay, you saw the future, and for three or four days, gold was above $1,800 an ounce, and I'll tell you, it'll be the demise of the gold cartel, and my friend there at that certain gold place will be looking for a new job. <laughs> we won't mention any names, but I know who you're talking about. There's a certain guy at Kitco that... Uh, that definitely is a is a perma bear. He hates gold. He hates silver. He hates people who who love gold and love silver. Uh, he he calls us religious nuts. Those of us that believe that gold and silver is real money, uh, even though the markets have proven that it is for centuries. So anyway, uh, we'll leave that one alone. The U.S. dollar. Where are we going there? Uh, going to crack sideways for now, but the euro has seen its worst, and I think you're going to start to see a little bit of a deterioration in the dollar. After we get past the inauguration period, and particularly when the argument of Beverly is going to come about the debt ceiling, I don't think it's set to collapse, but I think it will start to deteriorate and start to move to the lower end of the range, meaning the low 70s in the U.S. dollar index as we get to the end of this year. Well, that's uh, that's very important. I know that I've been watching a, a level of something like 70, 80 as a key support level on the dollar index, and if that were to break, it could be Katie bar the door. and. One would think that that would be extremely bullish for gold. And, of course, uh, from a gold miner's point of view, I'm interested in the real price of gold. What does it cost to get the gold out of the ground is most important. So I think investors need to start out by owning gold and silver, the, the bullion themselves, and maybe in a CEF or some form like that, uh, gold money, other ways to own it. But uh, one more idea here yet, Peter, oil and natural gas. What are your thoughts there? Uh, I, I don't think those markets are going to go anywhere fast except, if there was a real breakout of war in the Middle East, then oil can get into the you know very high you know 120, 130. I don't think it's going a lot lower, and the fracking has opened up so much new potential supply for natural gas. I just don't see its ability to trade you know many many dollars higher where it is now. I I also think you know it's going to it's pretty well seen its lows, but I don't think there's big moves in those markets anytime soon. Yeah. Well, thank you, Peter. We are out of time. I want to thank you very much for sharing your ideas with us. And again, uh, people can tell our listeners one more time before we say goodbye on where they can get a copy of your book. The name of the book is The, 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 Wall book, Street. the book is Confessions of a Wall Street Whiz Kid. Uh, I think it would be best, Jay, I will forward to you uh, the PDF link to our uh, free copy, and that way you can put it up on your website and they know they can go visit your website and get a copy of it. That's a great idea. We'll be doing that at my new revised website at jtaylormedia.com. I'll have that done hopefully in another week or so. Thank you very much, Peter, for being with us. Look forward to seeing you in Vancouver. Thank you, Jay. God bless. Same to you. Okay, folks, we're uh, going to go to a commercial break. When we come back, John Burgess of Northern Free Gold will be with me. Don't go away. Uh, John's got a very interesting story in light of what Peter's saying. Higher gold prices, higher silver prices, uh, Northern Free Gold, 
with uh, close to 6 million ounces in the ground might be one that you want to take a look at. So don't go away. John Burgess will be right back with me. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at DynacorGold. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters voice america business network the bottom line in business Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again John Burgess. He's the president and CEO of Northern Free Gold. Uh, Northern Free Gold uh, trades uh, in uh, Toronto under the symbol NFR, and you can buy it down here in the United States under the symbol NFRGF. Uh, as I have personally done, it is uh, a recommendation in my newsletter, and uh, I own it in my uh, retirement account. Also, I should mention that Northern Free Gold was a sponsor to this show uh, last season, and uh, so we're having John on now to give us an update on uh, on what's going on with Northern Free Gold. Welcome, John. Jay, it's a pleasure to be with you. Really good to have you again. Now, I I know that uh, you know these. This has been one of the toughest times I can remember ever. Uh, Doug Casey was talking uh, to Louis James. Uh, 
about uh, the tough times that we've had, and Doug thinks that we're getting ready for a spectacular rise in the exploration and the speculative uh, part of this market. And Doug thinks that uh, it's you know one of the best speculative plays anywhere right now. Uh, you started out the year at ten cents a share. You're up fifty uh, percent already in the first few days. I mean, that's <laughs> I guess people might chuckle. You talk about a ten cent stock going to fifteen, but uh, that's that's a pretty big move. Um, what, what, what do you have to say? What's causing it? What's going on there? Well, it, it is a it's a good start to the year. The reality, of course, is um, as you pointed out, the junior market overall was was absolutely clobbered last year, particularly. And um, valuations are, you know, if you look at uh, a lot of companies are down 70 to 80 percent or more. Um, so, you know, we were we were trading in the 15, 16 cents range back in uh, September. Uh, so we've kind of re- retraded back up to where we were. What's driven it, I think, in the last uh, couple of weeks, you know, we, we, like most juniors, were affected by tax loss selling towards the end of uh, November and December. Uh, and then um, we uh, had two very positive pieces of uh, news. Uh, we put out a new resource um, at our uh, gold deposit, Nucleus, which came out last uh, week. And that was, I think, a positive upside surprise for the market and, uh, you know, had very good feedback from newsletter writers like Louis James and others um, and analysts who cover the stocks. So that certainly helped us. Um, and I can touch on that in a bit more detail in a minute. And secondly, we also benefited from uh, the publication of the uh, results of a feasibility study from a company next to us called Western Copper. And that was, again, an upside surprise uh, for the uh, market. It was a very thorough uh, engineering study they put out uh, for their large gold, uh, actually it's a copper, uh, predominantly copper play. And uh, the implications for us were positive in that the, uh, that project um, is, uh, is an enabling project to us. They will have to be building a road through our property, um, connecting through to their project for that to go into development. So, yeah, I think uh, those two two factors have really helped the stock. And you know, but look, I believe there's a lot more uh, to come uh, for our company specifically with some of the uh, news flow we'll be having uh, over the next um, couple of quarters. And you know, the reversion to the mean is something I think we see in markets a lot. And, you know, I was looking at um, valuations of uh, junior exploration companies going back over two or three years. And if you, you look at them, you know, gold prices have gone up 30% or more in, in that period, say, from early 2010. And yet the valuations of companies, they used to trade in that 90 to $100 in inferred ounce in the ground basis, and now they're trading at 5 bucks. So, yeah. you know, you've seen 90 95% fall in, in, in relative valuations. So uh, I think, uh, as your previous uh, speaker was talking about, there uh, potentially is a lot of upside here in the market. Yeah, well, that's, that's absolutely true. I mean, companies like, uh, just to give our listeners a sense of what you have in the ground now, you have... First of all, your your project is located in the Yukon, right? And and can you tell us a little more about the location in the Yukon? Sure. The the Yukon is in northwestern Canada. Um, it's a terrific jurisdiction, very safe um, jurisdiction. Um, it's uh, ranked by the Fraser Institute in the top ten mining uh, locations in the world. Um, so you know, geographically, it's situated between Alaska and uh, and British Columbia. 
Yukon's got a terrific uh, history of mining going back to the Klondike gold rush of uh, the late 19th century, and there's been gold mining ever since. So, um, you know, there's uh, just a, a long track record. Um, our uh, project is the Free Gold Mountain Project. It's located uh, approximately 200 kilometers northwest of the capital in the industrial center called Whitehorse, and we're connected by road. Uh, all the way through to our project, so that's a key advantage uh, for uh, exploration development companies. If you can, you know, truck in all your rigs and equipment, uh, keeps your costs down and allows you to develop your project more quickly. So uh, that's a significant advantage we have uh, being um, road accessible, and also we're very close to uh, power lines. There's uh, commercial uh, grid power. Uh, 30 kilometers uh, to the north of us at an operating copper mine uh, called Minto, and uh, also power at the town of Carmack. So we're pretty well located from a electricity perspective too. Um, the property itself is a large property. It's um, you know it's around uh, 200 square kilometers. That's about three times the size of uh, the island of Manhattan in New York. Uh, so um, we, it's crown land, but we have all of the mineral quartz uh, mining rights to it. And uh, within that property, um, we've discovered uh, now around, um, well, we have two multi-million ounce deposits next to each other. Nucleus, which is the resource we updated last week, uh, is a gold deposit and has uh, 1.3 million ounces of indicated uh, and another uh, 800. A thousand ounces of inferred, and then three kilometers away, we have another deposit called Revenue, which has got uh, gold and copper and moly or molybdenum in about a third, a third, a third in terms of respective values. So overall, the deposits there are very large, two multi-million ounce gold deposits, open in all directions. So a lot of scope to grow the deposit as well. And outside of those two deposits, we have this huge property, uh, much of which has been. Uh, not explored yet, so there's a lot of uh, potential discovery upside as well. So, um, yeah, we think we're uh, in a good location, good mining jurisdiction, good infrastructure with a lot of ounces in the ground already, and you look at the value there, there's probably, you know, in situ value at prevailing gold prices is about $5 billion worth of gold sitting in the ground already that we found. Now, John, are you talking about gold or gold equivalent ounces when you say that? How many ounces of gold between the two properties and how many ounces of gold uh, equivalent gold do you have? Uh, I was talking just about gold at that point. Um, okay. you know, in addition to gold, we've got copper, molybdenum, and some silver, um, which uh, you know increases that value probably by another 50-odd percent. Um, the gold we have um, across the two deposits um, yeah, is um, uh, over two million ounces uh, indicated, uh, and uh, just under a million ounces of inferred. So you know, there's a lot of gold ounces there, and then the copper, moly, and silver on top of that. Sometimes when you have a lot of different metals, like you have there on the uh, on the revenue property, uh, it leads to some metallurgical issues. Have you you've done some metallurgical studies, I believe, recently, haven't you? Yes, we actually engaged with STS, um, which is one of the top metallurgical uh, groups out of um, Vancouver uh, last year, and we spent a, a lot of time working on a study. They published, uh, we published it in uh, September and October. Uh, got excellent recoveries, 97%, uh, up to 97% for gold at Nucleus. And then at the revenue deposit, uh, which is the one you mentioned, we were getting results of uh, 92% for copper, 
81% for molybdenum and uh, 74% for gold. And when you put that into the context of, you know, what what's competitive out there, what are other similar metallurgical recovery rates for um, projects with uh, precious metals and base metals, you'd find we're right at the very uh, top sort of quartile. So we were very uh, pleased with those results. Yes, yeah, so anything, uh, so basically you've got, to me, it looks to me like you've got, uh, you know, a, a world-class deposit potentially there. Uh, exploration potential beyond this, or are you big enough now you're ready to start doing economics and look for, uh, look to move the project forward as it is? Well, there's definitely ex- exploration potential on top of what we have. Um, we are, uh, are actually doing a, an engineering uh, study, which uh, in the uh, our mining jargon is called a preliminary economic assessment. So we're undertaking that right now, which is looking at the economics of the two multi-million ounce deposits that we have. And uh, we uh, expect to complete that uh, by the uh, end of this uh quarter, so by the end of um, March 31st. Um, that said, you know, we, we think there's a lot more potential. Um, the, the two deposits are sitting on an eight-kilometer long geophysical anomaly, which has got coincidental soil geochemical anomalies. So there's a lot of uh, gold and copper, which we've uh, found a surface along that eight-kilometer area. And when you look at the, the geophysical properties of that um, uh, eight-kilometer anomaly, again, it, it's very indicative of uh, potentially more um, uh, deposits that we may be able to find. Now, obviously, you know, having anomalies like that doesn't always translate into uh, deposits, but we, you know, we're very hopeful that with uh, further exploration, we'll be able to um, uh, make new discoveries on the property. Um, we do have another small deposit in the um, south uh, uh, east corner of the property called Tinta. Um, you know, there's uh, just under uh, 75,000 ounces of, uh, of gold. And so we've got uh, other areas of the property where we've already found uh, discoveries, um, which probably need more investment over time. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly uh, 15 cents is better than 10 cents, but raising capital is not is not easy in this, in this kind of a market. Uh, hopefully the markets certainly look like they're improving so far this year in 2013 in general. So hopefully you'll have some wind at your back and some higher share prices to raise some money uh, in the future. But I'm wondering in terms of... Um, in terms of the, uh, the the market valuation that they're giving you, some people might look at your project as saying it's kind of low grade. Uh, what, how do you respond to that? To that? Well, you know, we're a bulk tonnage uh, style um, operation, and you know, I think the uh, engineering work we're doing now hopefully should could confirm that. Mm-hmm. Um, what that means is effectively these would be likely to be open pit, uh, open pitable mm-hmm. projects. So you're not underground mining. So where you have open pit projects, that does allow for um, lower grades because the cost of uh, of mining is a lot lower. Um, and obviously where you have the uh, the ounces uh, of the size we have, that also makes up for some of the grade. And then, you know, I think people also, uh, sometimes also ignore infrastructure. Infrastructure costs um, can double, triple the, the overall costs of a project. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the proximity to power, and the fact that we have a road into the property already, I think, uh, will be a significant advantage for us. So, you know, I think um, we uh, will obviously, uh, with the uh, PEA, the Preliminary Economic Assessment, will be hopefully able to um, 
uh, publish some numbers in the next uh, three to four months that will confirm the economics that we think is inherent in the project. But you know, when you look at the the size of the ounces, the fact that the uh, recent resource we announced at Nucleus, we, we basically confirmed that two, two-thirds of the indicated ounces, so 850,000 ounces, were subcropping over a gram near surface. You know, so we've got a, a nice ore body that um, I think the economics should, uh, should, should benefit from once we crunch through these numbers. Possibly some early production from those higher grades are right on surface. Well, actually, you know, um, uh, I think what, what you can say about this property is um, there has been placer mining activity in and around and on the creeks of this property for uh, for years, for decades. Um, you know, the area we're in flows in eventually into the Yukon River, which obviously flows down, flows north, flows downstream up to the area called the Klondike, which was the main, you know, gold mm-hmm. discovery sure. 100 years ago. So. Um, where we're, we're operating right next to, you've got uh, Capstone with the Minto Copper Project just north of us. Tech, you know, the major uh, copper companies just taken uh, lands uh, to the uh, northwest of us, and then Western Copper with this huge uh, reserve yeah. that I mentioned earlier is, is yeah. also around us. So we're in an area where there's, you know, a lot of uh, uh, new uh, exploration development activity. Well, there is, definitely is, John. We are out of time, unfortunately. I, I would say also that this notion of Western Copper building a mine there, uh, combined with the fact that you're close to, power, not that far away from power, is definitely is a major, major uh, uh, issue. I want to thank you very much for coming on. We'll look forward to seeing you. You're going to have a booth, I guess, in uh, at the show in Vancouver, so listeners that might be uh, hearing this can, can uh, meet up with John personally. I suppose you'll be there. I will be there, yes. And uh, so I look forward to seeing you there as well, John. Uh, thank you very much. Tell our listeners, before we say goodbye, uh, your website. The website is uh, www.northernfreegold.com, and the symbol NFR in Canada and uh, NFRGF in the U.S. Very good. Thank Thanks, you very Jay. much, John, for being with us. Folks, don't go away. I'll be right back with some uh, summary thoughts on today's show as well as uh, a word about next week's guest. Don't go away. I'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. Riverside Resources is a mineral exploration company focused on making big discoveries and is advancing a strong portfolio of gold, silver, and copper properties in the Americas. Riverside owns commanding land packages near active mines and deposits where new discoveries have been efficiently developed. Riverside Resources is exploring Mexico, a country with a rich mining history and an even more promising future. Riverside Resources. Knowledge is golden. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, with just a few uh, thoughts of today's about today's show. We had uh, Jeff Berwick and uh, Stephen Merrill uh, coming in during the first part of the show earlier today, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing both of them up at the Gold Antitrust Action Committee uh, function. Actually, I'll be attending another one with the Gold Antitrust Action people. I think... Uh, the GATA people are very valuable. What they're doing is because they are really shining the light on the core of our problem, the core uh, element that allows Keynesian economics, or I call it really, it's more like communist economics, socialism to take over, or you could call it fascism too. It's anything but free market capitalism. It's anything but the kind of liberties that our founding fathers wanted for us. And a very key ingredient to that is to get rid of real money, because if you can wipe out real money, you can wipe out savings through inflation. And that's what the Federal Reserve has been doing uh, to such a great extent since 1913. It's taken 97% of our purchasing power away. There's no way that you can save. And so what people are being forced to do now is to, uh, is to buy gold and silver as a means of store of value. Now, whether the governments uh, that are becoming increasingly dictatorial will allow us to keep that is another issue. And that's something that we'll have to just uh, address as time goes on. There are arguments on both sides of it, on both sides of that uh, concern. Some people think it's more of a concern than others, but certainly it's, uh, we were robbed of that value by Roosevelt uh, in the 1930s when we, uh, when he disallowed us from owning gold. Yes, he gave us fiat money back in exchange, but uh, then he jacked up the price of gold right after that. So basically, um, uh, I think the uh, the citizens of the United States were cheated, and so the precedent has been set, certainly in our country, for that. And uh, whether or not it's done, uh, they can simply do it through the tax code. If what happens is gold and silver rise to uh, unspeakable levels of, of value, those of us who have had uh, those assets might find that we are, uh, you know, anybody over some sort of a minimal uh, level of income might be considered to be rich. Uh, as times become more and more desperate, and as socialism, uh, and as the virtues of capitalism, the virtues of private property, it really gets down to private property. And as Ilana Mercer pointed out uh, several weeks, several months back when she was on the show, if you take away private property, you essentially are setting the table to take away your very lives from uh, from you. The government is in a position to do that to us, uh, to really wreck our lives and and to take uh, and to take our freedom and our liberty and our ability to provide for our families away from us. Uh, and of course, that was a concern of the founding fathers. And and on the gun issue, we must always remember uh, that in fact uh, the reason the amendment was put in there was was you know to protect ourselves against government first and more, uh, foremost. Now that's something that you never hear anybody talk about, but that was the reason that the uh, that the amendment, uh, the right to own arms, was was given. I've never owned a gun, don't own one, uh, never have, came from a pacifistic background, but I can understand why it's, uh, you know, why the founding fathers thought we needed to have guns and why uh, it's so important. Looking forward to, to speak uh, with Jeff and... Uh, uh, 
and also Stephen up there. Uh, Stephen has a very interesting story to tell, that sovereign story. We, we want to have him back and talk to him about uh, his organization sometime in the future uh, as well. And always, uh, always enlightening, I think, is Alastair McLeod, who talked about the dynamics of, of um, Keynesianism, uh, the uh, euthanasia, of the, euthanasia of the saver. Uh, Keynes wants to wipe out savings, and that's what our government is doing, and that's what all these Keynesian economists are doing. This is really the battle that's going on in Washington between the Republicans and the Democrats. And a growing number of people are on the Democratic side because, as Peter Granich pointed out, a growing number of people are voting for a living as, instead of uh, working for a living. And so that is the Democratic side, that is the socialist side, that is the side, and I'm not, believe me, not pro-Republican either, because the Republicans, in my view, have their own faults as warmongers, uh, the military-industrial complex, the neocons. They are worshippers of that god, and that is an also an evil god as far as I'm concerned. It's also something that George Washington warned us against, getting entangled with foreign, uh, with foreign countries, as we have. To trade with them, yes, but to get involved militarily, is, uh, it's suicidal. But it seems as though policymakers have some reason to commit suicide, both economic as well as uh, geopolitical suicide, certainly seems to be what's happening in our country, from my perspective anyway. Well, we are just about out of time. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show. Next week, I, I will be uh, in Vancouver. Uh, I'll be doing the show from Vancouver. We are going to play a speech given... Um, uh, we are going to be playing a speech given by Peter Schiff uh, at the uh, Mises Circle in New York. That was the same event that David Stockman spoke at. And then I'll have a live guest or two on and have some investment ideas of my own. We are out of time. I want to thank Tacey Trump, uh, my producer, and uh, Matt Widener, my engineer, for making the show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.